You're listening to the Moms Unscripted Podcast. I would love for you to stand next to me, but you cannot lick my arm. So, you are an overachiever in your sex life. I mean, life. I could teach a class on it. Well, and really, I just deflect. If there's man topics, I'm like, yeah, that's not what we do here. Hey friends, I recently heard an interview with Rachel Rogers, the author of We Should All Be Millionaires, A Woman's Guide to Earning More, Building Wealth, and Gaining Economic Power, where she talked about a few fascinating facts. So did you know that women at every income level give away more money than men? Significantly more. Second, it's only been about 50 years that women have been able to make decisions about money without needing a man to co-sign, which seems completely unbelievable. And third, money is one of the top five reasons cited for divorce, especially due to debt, keeping secrets or spending in secret, a situation where the wife earns more or differing comfort levels on spending versus saving. And lastly, research has shown that men and women receive different messages about money. Generally speaking, women are typically expected to scrimp and save, while men are expected to invest and multiply. So that got me thinking about women and money and moms and money. And I did a bit more digging and learned that women own four out of 10 businesses in the U.S., Businesses founded by women earn twice as much money than those founded by men. And women are the majority of the newly self-employed. And the main reason they cite is flexibility to care for their families. Not only that, but according to the UN, one of the best ways to raise a community out of poverty is to resource the moms with skills to start their own businesses. Because when moms are resourced with skills to make their own money, they elevate everyone around them as well. Resource moms create a more generous world, which is why today we're talking about all things money. And to get started, let's do a little segment we like to call Loving Lately. And today is Loving Lately Money Edition. So friends, what is something that you are loving lately related to finances? Okay, so I recently listened to a podcast that I love called 10 Things to Tell You. It's with Laura Tremaine and it's a podcast I listen to every week, pretty much no matter what. And this particular week, it was um, episode 117 a couple of weeks ago. She interviewed um, a woman whose name is Caitlin Magnuson and she her business is called the Freelance CFO. So you can hire Caitlin to come in and kind of like revamp your business. And this is especially helpful for these mompreneurs that we're seeing who are becoming part of the self-employed workforce that Mandy, you were just talking about. So she gave, um, in this episode, she gave 10 financial tips for freelancers. And I thought every single one of these tips was gold. It was super practical. And if you're a mom who's wanting to start a side hustle, or if your side hustle is kind of becoming your main thing and you're a self-employed or a freelancer, she just gave some great tips on how to maximize what you're doing, who to hire, where to look for people, how to get support. And I thought it was awesome. So I'm loving that lately. I've listened to it twice. I love her podcast too. Okay, my loving lately is a book called Smart Women Finish Rich. And I think it's by Susie Ormond. And I just read it a couple months ago, but her very first practical tip to get all of your things in order is to get a file folder like an accordion folder and get all of your important documents in one place, which seems so obvious, but I realized like our will was in one spot. Um, our medical directives were in another, our retirement accounts were in another spot. And so it's basically, she lines out the 10 key documents that you need to have in one spot all together so that you know where everything is at a moment's notice. And it really helped me get clarity on some of the financial decisions that we were making. So 
loved her book, but also just loved how practical all of the ideas in it were. Smart. Um, I'm loving lately actually doing research on organizations I want to give to. My husband and I give to several. And every year um, we switch it up maybe every year, year or two. And what's gutting me lately are the people I know, I personally know that are going to bed hungry. Um, and so um, researching um, No Kid Hungry, Feed America, um, just, you know, food banks, our church has one that we can give to and support um, because we know people that are a paycheck away from the street. Um, so it's a personal uh, investment for us. So doing the research and then actually um, investing and committing to um, to supporting and to helping and um, just living less so we can give more and contribute more. Rick's father was huge about that. And so it's been fun to do the research. There's so many that you can give to you. I mean, we would, I, I would just turn my whole check over to, to some of these organizations, but there's a lot of need out there. So I would recommend mm-hmm. others do the same. I think one thing that I always, whenever I watch YouTube videos or podcasts about money, they always have the disclaimer of, we are not financial advisors. <laughs> Anything that we say and you do, you cannot sue us. We are like, it's a liability thing. So you're just anywhere, making that disclaimer. Yeah. That's our, that's our disclaimer for the show Thank right you. here that, so that you can't sue us. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. What do they always say? Never, never invest money that you're not willing to lose right, or right, something like right, that. Right. Kind do of thing. the research. Do right. Your own research. Um, one thing that I was very interesting to me is my dad, he used to do stocks uh, his whole life. He, he still does stocks, I guess I should say. And I never knew anything about it. That wasn't anything that he ever really like brought me into the fold and taught me. And just throughout, you know, getting older and wanting to make sure that we're smart with our money, I started to kind of dive in on my own on, because it was always very mystifying. We basically got like a financial advisor, a legitimate one. And so he, he was managing our savings. It was like a monthly draw. So if you don't, if you don't see it, then you can't use it and you can't think about it kind of thing. And now that I'm learning more about it, I realized that the fund that we're putting in has a lot of really high fees. And if I would have just done it myself, it would be significantly more money. And so that's why I wanted to do do the the disclaimer because I think investing is a lot easier than what it's made out to be, especially now. It's more accessible now than ever before. You can literally do it on your phone. And so it's so much easier. And so just as like kind of a launching point, now obviously do your research. Um, Once again, only put in what you're willing to lose kind of thing. But I didn't want to invest in like one company because that's very risky. That's a high risk thing. And so, you know, mutual funds are uh, very um, safe, but they, lots of times they come with high fees. And so there's these things called ETFs, which they're basically a collection of companies that are typically in the same sector. So if I can give any research on what things to start off with that is that is relatively safe is look into ETFs um, in different exchanges. So you have things like Ameritrade and Fidelity and all of these things that you can get on and then just put a couple hundred dollars in or whatever's manageable for you into maybe a different ETF. I have, I have one for our family. I've got a couple ETFs. Now, whenever our kids get birthday month money, I put half of it into 
stocks and so that they can already start that investment journey. So whenever they, as they get older, I can explain, Hey, this is what I've done for you. This is how it works. Now I want you to take this over. This is yours to have. And so stocks can feel very intimidating. I would just suggest if you have a financial advisor, obviously ask them, but ETFs are a real easy way in that uh, it's not super risky uh, in order to get into stocks and investing. Uh, So good. So practical. Love all those tips. And today we get to talk to a true expert to help us talk about all things money. We want to welcome Crystal Payne, founder of MoneySavingMom.com, host of the Crystal Payne Show podcast, New York Times bestselling author of Say Goodbye to Survival Mode and author of Money Making Mom. She lives with her husband and kids in Tennessee, where she's actively involved in her local church. And her biggest passions are helping women understand how the gospel can radically transform their lives, raising awareness for foster care and finding great deals at the grocery store. Her new book, Love Centered Parenting is available now. Crystal is so great to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. So before we start talking about money, tell us about your new book that you have out. Yes. My new book is called Love Centered Parenting. I never thought I'd be writing a book on or with parenting in the title, but it's just really my journey of hitting rock bottom. As a mom, one of my kids went through a really, really hard season about four years ago. And I start the book with talking about walking into the emergency room and saying my child's suicidal and just what I learned from that experience of me hitting rock bottom, my child hitting rock bottom, having to really relearn how to parent all over again from a different place and what it looks like to understand how much I'm loved by God and then let his love flow through me to my kids and how to live as a love-centered parent. Oh my gosh. I love your vulnerability in that because all of us parents need the reminder, like, There are hard moments. All day. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to pick that up. We should probably talk to you about that in another podcast again, too. (laughs) Um, But as you talked about uh, learning how to reparent from a different perspective, um, I feel like the same thing is true for so many of us around the topic of money, right? We kind of need to Mm. reframe our perspective or look at it from a new um, angle or have a different vantage point around how we relate to finances. And so, so many women have been taught that they need to be savers and haven't been taught that they can be earners too. So Crystal, you wrote Money Saving Mom, but also after that Money Making Mom. And so I'm curious, why did you write each book and why are they both important? You know, it was interesting because when I started Money Saving Mom in 2007, um, I was just really wanting to give women practical ways that they could contribute to their home without going out and getting a job. And I love helping women be able to cut their grocery bill and find ways to um, really manage your money better. And really, you know, I think sometimes we feel like the only way we can increase our income is to actually get a job or, you know, start something Mm -hmm. on the side, but to realize what can we do with the money that we already have coming in and how can we steward that better? How can we be more strategic with that? And so just really helping with women practically in that regard. But as I started sharing on this, I realized that there are a lot of women who they are doing the best that they can with what they have coming in. And they really do need to find ways to earn more income. And my heart is to help women not only 
find those ways if that's something that you need to do or you want to do, but then to also see how you can make such an impact with that. Because I feel like there are so many opportunities to be able to increase your family's income through an outside job or an at-home job, but also to do it in a way that it blesses your family and it blesses others too. So helpful. And I, I think you're right though, Mandy, it's not something that women are conditioned to to think. And then also then you become the wife and you are couponing and you're, you know, pinching pennies and you're like, when do we know when we are allowed to splurge on things on self-care, soul care, vacations? You know, I think that it all goes back to your heart. And I can't say, well, when you make X amount of money, then that's when you can start doing this, you know, but I think there's finding that balance. And to be really honest, it was hard for me to go from my husband and I, when we were first married, we were just barely eking by. And we were on such a tight beans and rice budget. And by that, I mean, we would sometimes only have $17 to spend at the grocery store that entire week for all Mm. 21 meals. You know, we had Mm. to be very, very creative. But then as our income increased, I struggled with kind of figuring out, okay, so we actually have more money to spend. What do I do about this? And yeah. and finding that balance. And I, for me, it was really having to seek the Lord and having my husband kind of nudge me. For instance, we pay for cleaners now. We pay to have cleaners come in every week. And I really struggled with that because I felt like I'm money saving mom. Like I don't pay someone to come in and help <laughs> clean my house, but to realize by doing that, I was not only able to provide a job for someone else, but I was able to free up time for myself to be more present with my family. And by investing that money, it actually was being wise. It was being a steward of our income because I could pay X amount in order to buy time for myself to be a better wife and mom and just to have better mental health and have more capacity and just have more energy. And so weighing the cost and the benefit, and then also, you know, obviously I feel like your budget is really important. And so don't go just, you know, say, well, that sounds like a great idea when you don't have money for it. But I think there, you can be intentional with your income. That doesn't mean that you're going to be living this miserable existence. Mm-hmm. With my husband and I, you know, when I would come to him with a certain need or desire or um, a new item for the house or whatever, to me, that was priority. And to him, he's like, but the mortgage is priority. I don't know how to put this, pose this question to you, but that the husband and wife come into the marriage with the same understanding or at least some sort of um on the same team when it comes to finances, because we know having the difference can cause such friction in the marriage. Right. So how, because to me and my, again, in my marriage, thinking back on mine, when we made more money, it was like, Oh, now we can go on vacation or now we, you know, I can buy that extra thing that I wanted for the house or whatever. So you did answer that. Um, You know what I'm trying to say? Like, as far as like husband and wife, and Having I was thinking about this that, that are this in alignment. Morning. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
And I think this is one of the biggest I guess, financial issues that, that marriages face is that we all have different priorities. And mm-hmm. so, you know, one spouse is going to be like, but we need to pay off our mortgage. And the other spouse is like, but I want to take a vacation mm-hmm. and that tug of war that can happen. And I think we have to come at it from a willingness to communicate and to compromise and also to get underneath the surface. So on the surface, you know, if one spouse is saying, it is so important to me that we pay off the mortgage, there's probably something deeper there that maybe that spouse, they have a fear. Maybe it's something to do with their childhood, you know, and it's same on the same thing when it comes to, you know, feeling like we need to have vacations and we need to have breathing room and we need to be able to spend money. And so I think to really come to those conversations, not to get the other person to come over to your side or to convince them that you're right and they're wrong, but to really hear their heart. Where are they coming from? And, you know, asking why Mm -hmm. and really listening and not coming with an agenda of trying to change, but with a heart to understand. And so then it allows you, you know, to step back and be like, Oh, so in your childhood, you know, this happened and you've carried that into marriage and you're worried about this, or you have this extra stress that I don't have because I didn't have that experience in my childhood. And so then you can have much more of this attitude of understanding and this empathy and to recognize that is a priority to them. And so how can we make that a priority? Well, also, you know, maybe it's that you are going to work a little bit harder at paying your mortgage faster than you were because you understand that's a priority. But you're also going to make sure that you're setting aside money for vacation as well. And so both of you figuring out how to communicate and compromise, but with the heart to understand and have empathy, um, I think that that's going to go a long way towards getting on the same page. Mm -hmm. I feel like the page that you get on in your marriage is not one spouse's page. It's your own, you know, new page that you're creating as a couple, bringing in the understanding where both of you are coming from and what your fears and your concerns and what your desires and what your interests are. And you bring that together. Mm, That's good. Thank you. So good. Mm -hmm. I, you said something earlier, Crystal, that I want to go back to that I think is huge. And you said, you use the phrase buying your time. And I think that that is a, such an interesting way of saying it. So for example, I think what you're meaning by that is getting a housekeeper or maybe someone that does your books for your business, or it's some, it's, it's your parsing out money to other people to do services that maybe you don't have to do so that you can either earn more or have more time to give back to your family. I think that concept is huge. I think a lot of women don't give themselves permission to, um, allow other people to step in and help with their home and other things like that. So if we want to buy some time back in our lives as women to give back to our kids, to give back to our family, to give money back to our household, where do we start? Where should we start in this whole equation of wanting to increase the bottom line, wanting to increase the time that we, the limited time that we have and bring value to all those areas of our lives? Like where do we start? Well, I would always encourage people to start with a thing that most people don't want to start with, and that is your budget. 
Like you oh, need don't to say know that, how Crystal. Much money don't have <laughs> coming in and going out. And I know everybody's like, I don't want to do that thing. Like just let's. I want a sexier answer. Yeah, I want a sexier <laughs> answer than that. Okay, keep going, keep going. Um, but because I think once you look at that, if you and your spouse, if you're married, can sit down and really take a fine tooth comb to this and say, okay, what do we have going in and what do we have coming at? What do we have going out and coming in? It allows you then to also have those conversations about priorities, because I think if you come to the conversation, we call it a budget meeting at our house, where you come to that with the willingness to hear what's important to the other person, a lot of times you will learn a lot about your spouse through that. What is a priority? But then we usually will find things we're like, why are we still paying $15 a month for that? And mm-hmm. what, you know, or could we make a, an, a phone call and see if we could lower that? I bet there's a creative way that we could change that. And so it allows us to kind of put our thinking caps on and come together and figure out ways that we could change and tweak the budget. But then also it allows us to talk about what are our priorities? I think it's a really important conversation for couples to have of your why. What is your why for wanting to spend and wanting to save? Like, what is your long-term dream? For us, it's that we want to be generous givers. And so we are going to live on less than we make so that we can give generously. That is our heart. And that is something that's really a priority to us. And so when we're looking at our budget, we're always thinking of making sure that we have set aside giving as the greatest priority and then, okay, what's extra, then we can put it towards these other things. But to talk about buying you know, time, I think you've got to start with knowing what's coming in and going out. But then also, I think it's knowing what your time is worth. So this is, you know, as someone who works from home, recognizing like, how much do I make in an hour? And so looking at, well, could I pay someone to free up some hours for me? Maybe that's hiring someone on to do, you know, five hours a week in my business, or maybe it's simple things like paying at the grocery store to get stuff that's prepackaged or pre-cut or, you know, partially made or, you know, buying Costco lasagna or whatever, you know, so that someone is saving you that time. So recognizing how much your time is worth and putting that value on it. And then also this comes into play when you think of saving money. So a lot of times I think we feel like, well, I should be doing that. Like I should plant a garden because doesn't that save money? Well, in reality, if we actually do the math, you know, how much are those tomatoes actually costing you in time? Did you spend 15 hours so you could get two pounds of tomatoes? Might not be worth your time, you know? So I think that doing that cost analysis and then really figuring out what is your return on investment as in all areas of our life can be really, really beneficial. And it can help us to figure out, okay, what is a priority to us? And it's not just about money. So for me, I always tell people, if you love gardening, if that brings you life, if that's like a hobby for you, and it's something you want to invest your time in because of the benefits for you health-wise or mentally, you know, emotionally, whatever, that's fantastic. But don't just go into it being like, I'm doing this to save money unless you actually are saving money. I think it's really interesting that shift. I'm very curious. What was that conversation like when you, the conversation of, all right, husband, we have $17. How are we going to do this this week? Two, now let's give away this money. 
How, what was that conversation like and how did y'all get there? Well, always from the time that we first got married, we always committed to tithing. That was something that was really important to us. But it honestly was whenever I was started, um, I was blogging and was earning some money from that. And then an opportunity kind of just landed in my lap for me to um, write a book. And I wanted to do something really special with that advance. And so we ended up um, funding a um, project in the Dominican Republic and we got to go there. And it was, you would think that like that would take just tons and tons and tons of money it did not take very much money to make a big impact. And we got to go there and see the impact of this project there. And it totally changed our world because when I went and I saw how far our income, our money could go there, I thought it made me just want to go home and be so much more careful with what we spend and also be more strategic in ways to make money so that I could give more away. And so I think for my husband and I both to experience that, and we've gotten to then travel to some other parts of the world and see that same thing. And it just continues to fuel that fire for us of we want to be able to be strategic in making money so that we can give more away. And we want to be strategic in saving money so we can give more away. So good. Wow. Have you always been empowered around money? Like, has it always been something that you've been you've known about and been comfortable thinking and talking about and working with, or has this been newer in your adult life? So I come from a family of nine. There's seven kids in my family and my parents actually um, committed to pay off their house and then become debt-free when I was about seven years old. And so I got to watch them go through that journey and then um, they paid off their house and then we, we lived there for a while and they saved more money. And then we bought this piece of property out in the country and we um, then got this construction trailer, which is like the kind of trailers that they put out on a job site, not for people to live in, but we lived in that construction trailer. It was mice infested and it had, didn't have, um, a, a, like didn't have an oven and it didn't have air conditioning. And we lived there for six months while my dad was a general contractor and we built this home debt free. Well, I say we, we were kind of young and didn't, but our, <laughs> my, my parents were in charge of helping build that home debt free and seeing my parents walk this journey and getting to be a part of it with them and seeing the sacrifices that they made, but then also seeing the fulfillment that came from that was really, really inspiring to me. And, um, I knew going into marriage that it was something that I really was hoping that we would be able to be debt-free. And so that was our heart from the beginning of marriage. My husband and I talked about it a lot and we just felt like we wanted to go into marriage with that desire. Let's stand on our parents' shoulders and let's take this even further. And so, um, I would really credit my parents to inspiring me in that. But I think the biggest thing for me, it was seeing that the freedom that it gave them, Mm -hmm. that they didn't have those financial stresses, but then they were also able to give really generously because they weren't having to pay all these payments and have that hanging over their head. So I bet there's a lot of women listening right now who are like, I want that. I want financial freedom. I want to be debt-free and I want to make more money. So what would you say are the starting points today? What can they do? So I think... First off, 
it's really important to know your why. We've talked about that some, but to know your why, it's not just, I want this because this is going to fix everything in my life. And I think contentment is one of the most important things. If you have contentment, it doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have, you're going to be fulfilled in life. And I'm so grateful for my husband and I having those first few years of marriage where we lived on so little because it taught us that you can have a very fulfilled life without having hardly anything. And it gave us that deep contentment so that now as our income has increased, we don't feel the need to also increase our standard of living at the same rate. And so I would just encourage people, I think that is one of the most important steps that you can take, knowing your why for why you want to do this, but then also, are you content exactly where you are? And a question that I like to ask is, when is enough enough? And if you, if nothing ever changed in your life where you are right now, would that be enough? And so having our contentment in in the Lord and really finding our fulfillment in Him and having our wholeness in Him, I think then that allows us to be able to live our life with open hands and just see ourselves as a conduit of Him to others. And so for me, there's so much fulfillment that comes from that. But then I also feel like when you have that con- contentment, it gives you more of just an inspiration and motivation to be able to save more and give more and be more strategic with their finances, because it's not about trying to fill something in your heart that only God can fill. And it's about being able to see money as a tool. So I'm a mom. No, I'm not. I'm a dad, but let's just say (laughs) for the, (laughs) um, and I want to make more money now in 2021. What do you, do you have a a running list of the top quickest ways for moms to start making money right now in 2021? (laughs) There are lots and lots of things right now. Um, I think that because of COVID, even though it was so hard, it actually was a good thing because it taught us how much can be done virtually. And there is a huge need right now for people who can be virtual assistants. And a lot of times people think of a virtual assistant as someone who, you know, just answers emails or blog comments or posts on social media. But honestly, whatever your gifting is, in almost every case, there's a way for it to be used virtually. And there are a lot of online entrepreneurs and companies that are actually brick and mortar who are looking to hire people who can do things like web design, who can do graphic design, who can help with social media, who can do data entry, who are able to, um, you know, make phone calls or do customer service, answer those emails, respond to comments, but also things like, you know, what other skills do you have? There's, there's cool things like bloggers that are looking for people to make recipes and take a video of them. And then they post them on their Facebook page or to take really great pictures of things or to go and, um, go on vacations and write an article about it and post it on their blog. I mean, there's so many different things out there right now that can be done virtually. And so I encourage people to start with thinking of what are you passionate about? What are you good at? Do you have some kind of experience in some way? Let's start with that. What do you already have in your hands? And then what do you want to get better at? Start there, look for people who are, you know, companies or um, 
influencers online, bloggers online, people who you think I would really love to be able to work with them and then go to them and offer to help them and say, I would, I'm just building my resume and I'm building my portfolio and I would love to work for you for five to 15 hours completely free. This is what I have to offer you. And just start getting your feet wet. Start building your portfolio. There's a site called 5rr.com that has lots and lots of job listings on it. And you can connect with other entrepreneurs. I would not recommend that you are doing that long term. But if you're wanting to get your feet wet, if you're wanting to build your portfolio, that is a great way to get started. And I know a lot of people that have connected with an online entrepreneur through that. And then it's turned into a part-time or even full-time online job because that entrepreneur saw, oh, they're really great at graphic design and I need to hire somebody. And so I'm going to hire them. They did some projects for me. I loved it. And I'm going to hire them outside of that site. Okay. That's super helpful. 5rr.com. I know a lot of people are looking into like investments. So like Bitcoin and like, what, is there something you would offer couples, you know, looking for um, an increase in their income that way too? Maybe they don't have the time to, you know, have find a second or third job, but just investments. Yeah. Investments are such a personal and big thing, but I, I think you have to kind of decide whether, you know, do you have $3,000 to invest? Do you have $300 to invest? Do you have $30,000 or $300,000? And I think, so there's something at every single level. Um, I am a big fan of looking for ways that you can have create passive income. And so things like, for instance, writing an ebook. I know it sounds weird, like, oh, that would be an investment, but maybe you don't have a lot of money to invest, but you have time and you have experience. You can write an ebook. There's a great book by Chandler Bolt called Published that he walks you through how to write and publish an ebook on your own on Amazon. And I know people who are making full-time income passive income from Amazon, from selling eBooks. Usually it's not just one, it'll be a series of them, but that's a great way where that's an, just an investment of time and a little bit of money that can turn into passive income that you might even be able to quit your day job someday doing something like that. So there's, so there's that there's other things like, could you do, could you have a vending machine business where you're not, you know, again, it's not completely passive income, but you're investing in the vending machines. And then you're able to turn that around to a significant, um, increase of income without having to invest, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, you know, if you have, more income. I am a big fan of mutual funds just because I think that it's a less risky sort of investment than a lot of things out there. Um, my husband and my son, my son's 12, he has done, they've both done Bitcoin and they've done a lot of the different um, cryptocurrencies and tried it out. Um, they have made some money off of it, but you have to really know what you're doing. So I, I kind of go for the things that it's like a little bit more low risk and that any person can do. And so I'm a big fan of mutual funds, or if you have a larger amount of money to invest, um, my husband and I have also been um, very successful with real estate and doing single um, home and um, turning them into rentals and doing that. That's also been a great thing. Mm-hmm. So helpful. can I ask one more question? Yes, one go more. for it. Okay. Last one. How do we empower our kids around money? How do we mm-hmm. encourage our kids, talk to our kids, demystify money to our kids and help them have a good relationship with it? One of the biggest things is you model it. And so don't expect what you're also not living. And I think it's really, really important that we recognize that our kids are watching. And if they see us overspending, 
stressing about money, swiping our card, not thinking before we spend, making big purchases without a lot of thought, they're going to be picking up on our example. And so I think one of the best things we can do for our kids is start when they're really young. Do not wait until they're 13, 16, 18 to start having money conversations. We have started our kids from the time that they literally could talk barely and walk. We started in, in just explaining money to them. And then one of the things that we've done is since the time that they were old enough to be able to count and understand a little bit the value of money. We've given them opportunities to earn money. So we have paid chores and non-paid chores. Um, Non-paid chores are things that you do as part of just being in our home. Paid chores are things that you can elect to do after you've done your non-paid chores in order to earn extra income. So if we're at the store and they're four or five years old and they're like, mom, I want that. I'm like, did you bring your money? And they're like, I don't have any money. I'm like, well, then you better do a chore, you know? And so it's teaching them that money just doesn't, you know, you don't just swipe a card and that's how money exists. Um, but it's teaching them the value of work, you earn money, and then you can spend it. And we allow them to pretty much spend it within reason on whatever they want to when they're little, because we want them to make those $3 mistakes in order to save them the $303,000 mm-hmm. mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then also the thing that we do is we have them go up to the cash register and they hand their own money. And sometimes they didn't um, account for tax. And so they're short. And I'm like, sorry, we'll have to come back later when you have more money. And that might sound like I'm just this terribly mean mom, but I want them to understand that, you know, if you don't have enough money, it's not like you just go to the mom ATM and get some more. That's not (laughs) how real life works. And so having them realize, oh, you know, they make that mistake one time, they won't make it again. They'll learn how to calculate for tax. And then sometimes they buy something and it breaks right away. And then they're like, I wish I wouldn't have spent that. And then we can have those conversations Mm -hmm. instead of being like, you shouldn't have done that. I told you that was a stupid mistake. Just be like, so why do you think that you shouldn't have spent that money? What can you learn from that? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do different next time? And you lead with questions and just asking them things and letting them learn from that. And, you know, they're going to make some mistakes. And that is what I want because I want them to be thinking and learning the value of money, learning to really think about time is money. And you know, my daughter right now, she's 16 and she's always talking about like, I have to work this many hours in order to afford that. And I want her to be thinking like that because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we just don't in our society. And so to recognize, is this thing really worth five hours of work? probably not. So I'm not going to buy it. And just start having those conversations. And then the other thing is to start giving them opportunities to give. And that's for us, what gets us so excited is, Mm -hmm. and so from the time our kids are little, giving them opportunities, um, we let them choose something that they're excited about, something that they want to give to, and then for them to give their money to that. And we, you know, we'll usually have them actually go to the place and hand the money to whatever it is so that they're really personally invested in it. And we've just seen so much joy that comes from that. And it's just, it inspires us watching our kids give. Okay. That was incredibly helpful and practical and so many great ideas. I'm curious what's something that Crystal said that was helpful or surprising in your opinion? One thing that I kind of dug out and I almost wanted to ask her and is 
this is going to be a very blunt question. And then I'll do a story and then I'll say the question again is why are women so good at making money? And <laughs> the, to preface that. So my sister, uh, she did what a lot of people, what a lot of people do that just want to be stay at home moms. She went to school and got a degree in education. So then she could homeschool her children and be an educator. That's what she wanted to do. And so she got the path Then she got married and she had kids and she wanted to be an educator. Uh, unfortunately about three to four years ago, she had a divorce and she had never worked really. She was a teacher a little bit before, but then she had been a stay at home mom ever since. And so she had to financially take care of herself and her kids. And so she started working for Walmart in the legal department, just pushing papers. And now she's a manager making way more money than I am with stock options and all of this stuff. And I, I've been working multiple jobs since I was 16. And here she comes in with no experience really. And in three and a half years is just killing it. Mm -hmm. So why are women so great at making money? And I think it, she had to. So maybe yeah, that's an element to it. She had it to, her. yeah. but at the same time, like, I think if women, I don't know what it is. So I even that, think it's question. moms, right? Oh what gosh, I have yes. seen mm -hmm. amazing multitaskers, they can come in, get their job done. And then they're like off to something else. They yes. can handle the kids in, mm -hmm. at night and get their job done during the day. I just think they're so resourceful yeah. and competent and resilient and gritty mm -hmm. that I, I would hire a mom any, any day. day. Absolutely. I do. I agree with that. I think she found herself in a situation where she needed to do something, mm -hmm. right? Something drastic and smart. And women are just better, Matt, at everything. <laughs> uh, thank, she thank said what we're that. all thinking, but yeah. we didn't feel. So just answer your question. To say. It's okay. I already hear a lot of weird things here. So <laughs> <laughs> just answer your question. <laughs> I think as a, speaking as a single mom, because it sounds like she and I got divorced right around the same time. Mm. Um, you're trying to constantly triage responsibilities and priorities. And so you have to get creative when you, when you yeah. have to do that, it forces you to get creative. And there's a lot of cool things that are born out of creativity, especially yes. if you're a mom and you're resourceful and you can kind of figure it out. I love what Crystal said when she said, um, really think creatively about what you're good at. And it sounds like your sister did that. And I think, I think moms in general need to be doing that more. And I think single moms especially need to be doing that, especially if they need to work, really think creatively about what you're good at. And it's, it's sometimes we think, oh, our skills don't translate, but listen to what Mandy just said. She hire a mom any day because these skills do translate mm -hmm. hardworking, resourceful, creative, those, those things translate. Um, one other thing that I just wanted to add, cause I, I feel like being a single mom can be a unique financial situation. Um, one thing that was just helpful for me, this is just kind of a bonus, um, but I was always involved in our finances when I was married, but I would not say that I had ownership over our finances. And those are two very different things. And then when I became single, it was really clear to me that I needed to take a significant personal responsibility and ownership over my own finances. That was necessary. And I didn't 100% know where to start. So this is just something for the mom out there who is... Um, finding herself in a situation where for whatever reason, she's got to take ownership now over the situation. Mm -hmm. And one thing I just want to encourage is to say the thing that helped me the most was to sit down with one family member that I trust implicitly who is smart and experienced with money 
and one friend, girlfriend here in the same town with me who I trust implicitly and is smart and experienced with money. And I told them everything and I showed them everything. And these are the only two people that know everything about my finances. And then the girlfriend that's here in the same town where I am, she goes with me to all of my financial planning appointments. I mean, this girl could like sell my secrets on the internet. if She, she knows everything. And she sits with me in these appointments as another set of ears, as um, a person to help me know the questions to ask and, and then help me remember the information I'm given. And that has been Though it has been vulnerable, it has been invaluable. There's someone else that's holding this information with me. And so I, recently I was thinking about making a, a real estate purchase. The lot next to my house is available. It's empty. And I was thinking about purchasing it. And so I could go to her and say, I'm kind of thinking about doing this. It's available. The builder's willing to give me a deal. And she knows the whole picture and we can talk it through together. So I just don't think it's ever good for us to feel isolated about anything in our lives, particularly finances. So it's vulnerable and it can't even feel embarrassing to say, this is the amount of debt I have, mm -hmm. or this is what I spend at Taco Bell every month or whatever it is, right? But it has actually just been very freeing That's to be so able to good, have support yeah. with someone wow. who knows. Yeah. And there's, um, it's, you know, when things are not in the dark, but you know, how free are you to walk up to someone and say, this is how much I make for a living, right? It, it's kind of one of the things we don't talk about is money, right? And so it's really cool that you have a friend and an accountability person, really, that's yes. not your spouse um, and your financial planner to help you with that for wise uh, future decisions. I think that's good. One thing I love too, um, because it's where we're at, uh, is giving back, Mm -hmm. in various ways, different ways, time, resources. Um, our, our church um, teaches that heavily, um, not just your dollars and cents, but your time and effort. And um, I like that her and her husband are intentional about that. And mm -hmm. I also like how they are raising their kids to be aware of, of money. I mean, with our kids, it was sure they had a piggy bank and, you know, save a quarter, spend a quarter. Um, but even even to the detail of her having her children hand the dollar to the the store attendant, you know, so that they're responsible for their money. This is the amount that you're giving away. What you're purchasing, is it a piece of crap or is it of quality? I like the ushering them into that uh, and, and the foundation of, of financial responsibility um, mm -hmm. early. I really appreciated that part too. Do you guys remember when you had your first job and it all of a sudden occurred to you, like, I'm going to work for an hour and that will barely cover if right. I go out and buy lunch. Right. And like mm -hmm. the realization, mm -hmm. like I just made $8 working a full hour and my lunch yeah. is going to cost more than that. Yeah. I, I, I distinctly yeah. remember that really occurring to me mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is, this is the value of right. time. And my money. first right. job was at a grocery <laughs> store stocking uh, the things on the shelves. And I was like, I can't buy that in an hour. I can't buy that in an hour. And it was just like every item I was putting on the shelf. I was like, I actually can't afford anything. Everything that I just put on the, it, with, right. I mean, maybe after a day of work, right. I could get that and then maybe that. But right. I, I mean, yeah, absolutely, Leanna. I had those price tags in front of me all day long mm -hmm. while I was doing it. Okay, what's wow. everyone's first job? Let's go around. I had two first jobs. I worked at Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. And I remember getting my first paycheck and it was all of 
$95 and I was loaded. I was rich. And I came home and told my sisters, I'm like, I'm rich. I'm rich. And my mom took my check. <laughs> She's like, and these are the things you need to pay. Once you cover your ties, here's your, you know, all the extra activities. She's like, I cover the basics, but your extra things, this is what it's going to cost. So at the very end, I think I had like $7 left. So it was a real quick um, realization of that little hundred and some dollars went that fast, which happens now, obviously, when when we're taking care of real bills. But um, I do remember that my first job. And I remember the experience of my first paycheck. Mm-hmm. Leanna, what was your first job? My first job was selling lingerie at Nordstrom. What? <laughs> that was like a very I fancy write... first job. Selling wow. laundry? Lingerie. Oh, lingerie, oh. not laundry. <laughs> <laughs> Matt thought yeah, you said laundry. 17. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I could write an entire book. I am telling you guys. Wow. I bet you've seen some Women things. just, oh my, I have seen it all. Literally women walking up to the counter in the middle of the floor right there in Nordstrom at Fashion Valley in San Diego, lifting up their skirt and saying, do you still carry these underwear? And it's Whoa. like, <laughs> let me show you to a fitting room, ma'am. I mean, but, but you know, what was really neat is one of the things we got taught as we were there longer was how to um, fit prosthesis for women who had gone through mastectomies mm-hmm. and um, were going through breast cancer and chemo. And it, that was such a neat part of that job. But there were also some wackadoodle situations I'm that sure hurt. I'm sure oh I need to hear about these afterward oh man I'm already <laughs> like picturing a person a type oh for yeah. sure you know a hundred percent a hundred percent wow yeah. that's yeah. crazy okay top that Mandy I don't have a topper. I started working when I was 13 babysitting, but my first like real outside job was I was a waitress at Perkins in upstate New York and I made $2 an hour plus tips. Mm, plus tips. Yes. Did you get good tips? I did. Mm-hmm. I did. Back then. Mm-hmm. I did spill a red high C on a customer really? once. Really? That was very embarrassing. I know. It, I was like humiliated for days <laughs> afterward. Yeah, my second, my second job was at a restaurant and I worked there for seven years and I've had stuff thrown at me. And, really? Oh yeah. Wow. People are terrible. Yeah. I think everyone needs to do retail or a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yes. Job. I agree. 100%. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Te- lots That'll of teach you a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Patience and oh yeah. Lots, you know, gratitude. Chain mm-hmm. smoking. <laughs> so much smoking. So yeah. much smoking. Stress management. Yeah. 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 Sensible oh, shoes and how to take a smoke break, whether you smoke or not. Exactly. Right. I still like, right. I think that the smoke break has a great value, whether you smoke or not. Absolutely. <laughs> what a great conversation. So to wrap up, in relation to money, we sometimes tend to worry or overspend or hoard when what God wants for us is freedom and generosity. We hope that today's episode has helped you think about your own relationship and habits around money so that you can feel empowered to reconsider what abundance and generosity might look like in your own life. Until next time. Hey friends, thank you for joining us for Moms Unscripted, a production of Mops International. A quick reminder that opinions discussed are solely the opinions of the individuals and do not necessarily represent the organization. For more information on today's episode, please visit mops.org backslash Moms Unscripted podcast for show notes. And join us again next week for another unscripted conversation around the Mops table.